Welcome to the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help you find your freedom in every aspect of your business. Captivity comes in many forms, from stale, ineffective sales and marketing tactics, to outdated technology and workflows, to teams who are performing far less than their true capabilities. On this show, you'll hear compelling conversations with your peers in the insurance industry, as well as from top-shelf professionals in related fields who are leading the charge towards what's coming next. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Welcome to our regular guests listening on the podcast streaming service of your choice. Also, welcome to our friends over on YouTube watching the video version of this conversation. Our guest for this episode is Andrew Feiler. How's it going, And yeah, man. Welcome. And Andrew, you are just living, breathing example of what I've been saying for weeks this year, because somebody got the idea that I'm bought by folks, that I'm in someone's pocket, that I'm biased, that I have an agenda. And I strongly disagree with that, of course, as you can imagine. And having guests like you on this show is evidence of the fact that I'm definitely not biased, that I love having conversations with folks that are doing things very differently than I am, because you, my friend, are one of the rock stars at a national level for Allstate. You are an EA. I am. Probably top 0.1%, 0.01%. I don't know what your rank is. You probably know what your rank is nationally. But you are an exemplary exclusive agent. And I am thrilled to have you uh, on the podcast here today. Thanks for making time for us, man. Absolutely, man. Thrilled to be here. I love your content. been following you for a while. So glad yeah, you know, it's it's the Mutual Admiration Society, right? Uh, you got a couple of things going on. We're going to start in Allstate land and talk about yeah, that. Yeah. And you allowed me to debate a little bit with For the sure. whole EAIA thing. And a lot of folks are going to find that juicy because there's a good segment of our listening audience that prefers to remain very anonymous because they are still on the captive and exclusive agency side of distribution, and they're not happy about it. They're trying to plot and find their way to the IA channel. You're a different breed. You are on the EA side of things, and you're perfectly happy to be there. Uh, you are one of the poster children uh, on a national scene for the Allstate EA opportunity. It just got back from the mega conference. I believe it was in Nashville, right? It was, yeah. Sweet. Well, we can talk about that for sure. But the second thing that we're going to get into is your other business, the Next Call Club. So for those of you that are trying to figure out your cold calling, your prospecting strategies, Andrew has a thing or two to say about that. So stay sure. tuned for the second half of the interview here. Andrew, I'm just going to hand you the microphone, my man. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Give us your background. Where, where, how old were you when you decided, when I grew up, I want to be an insurance agent? How did that thing come about? And what was your career like before insurance? And if you don't mind getting into the whole, why did you pick insurance? What was the the thing there? And then we'll get into the Allstate stuff uh, after that. Sure. So, you know, I think like most people, I didn't grow up wanting to be an insurance shocker. I know, you know, it's not something that I, I was just, my butt wasn't burning trying to get into the insurance industry. But, you know, in hindsight, it should make sense that I did. My dad was a CLU and a, and a life wholesaler for a long time for a, a Union Mutual. My sister was a commercial underwriter at General Reinsurance for a while. And so I think it makes sense that I probably fell into the industry. I you know, did undergrad at a small school down in uh, Fort Myers, Florida called Florida Gulf Coast University, and I got a finance degree. And I always loved numbers. I always loved math. You know, I wasn't very good at it in high school, but that's probably because I didn't go to math class that often. Uh, when I got to college, I kind of shaped up, realized I was paying for it, said I should probably put my head down and do the work and found that when I actually did the work and showed up to class, that numbers were actually pretty cool and pretty interesting. And so got a finance degree. And as I was leaving school, I knew I needed to get some type of office job. I was serving tables at a, at a country club down in Naples, which was amazing. I would make something like 25 to 30 grand in, in five months. And it was seasonal. And as a college hey. kid, making great money from you know, October to May and then having the summers off to hang out with friends, work out, party, do all the things college kids do and to make that type of money. And so 
I remember a professor said to me, he's like, look, when you get into kind of that first off, like quote unquote office job, you're probably going to take a pay cut. And uh, man, was he right. So I had a buddy in my program who was working at State Farm and uh, he said, hey, I think, you know, my boss is hiring. I think you'd be pretty good at it. You know, and that's probably because, you know, we were always talking smack to each other. And, and basically the job was cold calling businesses to try to quote their commercial auto. And so that was a State Farm agent. So I took that job and I was 20 for maybe 21 or 22 years old. So it was my first job right out of college and still finishing up college. And my job was pretty simple. Make hmm. five, 600 outbound calls a day on a auto dialer. On a dialer, was, right? Dialer, auto dialer. Parallel, parallel dialer, right? I'm not sure it was, probably wasn't compliant then, but you know, I wasn't, wasn't my name on the door. And, but my job was simple. It was to get the names, the drivers, the license numbers, all the things so we could quote commercial auto and did that for about seven or eight months and, uh, hated it actually sucked at it a lot. And, uh, yeah, I'm surprised I didn't get fired if I'm being honest, but, you know, eventually started to kind of figure it out. And by the time I got done with school and got my license uh, for property and casualty and in life and health, I was able to start working, uh, you know, internet leads of people who were actually shopping to do personal insurance. And I had never felt more grateful for doing that commercial outbound because by the time I got to somebody who was actually putting information in online, it was so easy. It was so mm -hmm. easy compared to that commercial call. And it really gave me a lot of context because I can't tell you how many people I talk to and they're like, man, calling these leads is hard. And it is, it is hard. I'm not saying it's not, but hard is relative, right? Like hard is relative <laughs> to something else. I thought it was easy relative to calling commercial. And so did that for about two years. You know, my salary was like a thousand dollars a month. The rest was commission, had some stupidly high goals and got very little support, but I made it happen. And, you know, I just told myself, look, I'm 21, 22 years old. I'm going to just do this for a year and see where it goes. And Eventually, you know, I met the guy who owns the largest Allstate agency in the country and started working for him. And when I went over there, everything he did was inbound. Everything was inbound. It was all direct mail. It was all community based. It was, it's like what I like to call more of like the traditional or, you know, what I say, maybe old school marketing, which offends some people, which it shouldn't. I don't mean it out of any disrespect. I think old school yeah. called the OG, right? Nothing but respect. For the old it's school. It's worked for people. decades. For Why decades. would it not still work? It still does. Still does. But the problem it still does. Was, it wasn't scalable, right? And he was having a lot of success with it, but he couldn't get enough to grow at the size agency he was at. So when I came in, I said, I want to do outbound, started doing outbound calls with leads. And I'll never forget, really just a ton of credit to him. He handed me this preloaded credit card that Allstate had given him because Allstate used to give all these marketing dollars back in the day. And because he was so big, it had something like $200,000 on it. And he said, go Whoa. ahead and spend, he said, go ahead and spend this on leads and you know, whatever we mess up, we'll learn something. And I couldn't believe that I was like 23 years old at the time, maybe 24. And it's like, this guy is, this guy's either crazy or he just like is so successful. He just doesn't care about $200,000. And so make a long story short, we figured it out pretty quickly. And I hired a couple interns to work with me. And before he knew it, we were out selling the traditional marketing type salespeople. And he came to me and said, Hey, I want you to take over the entire sales team and turn the entire team into like an outbound team, which if anybody's ever done that, taking 15 people who are used to waiting for waiting for the phone to ring and trying to get them to make outbound calls. Mm -hmm. I wasn't very popular at the time. 0% and they hate your guts. For sure. And because so you I came tried. in and wrecked it. Donna, who's been doing this for 30 years is like, yeah. that little son of a bitch. I hate him. <laughs> You know, and to, and to their credit, right? Like to their credit, like they were pretty cool in my face about it, you know, and, and I never heard any big rumors, but I can understand, right? I can empathize that changing your whole job is not always going to be easy or fun. And, and especially when this, there's got this kid who's like 23 and they're just like, who is this yeah. guy? Right? Like, yeah. so some people adapted, some people, we moved into different roles that, that really worked for their skill set. Some people self-selected out of the agency. And then we turned that whole team over 18 months. And before you know it, we were starting to write four or five, 600 items a month. And at the time we were in Florida and the only thing we could really write was auto insurance. And so, mm -hmm. you know, no home, trying to unbundle things and just get their auto. And there was a lot of challenges with that. And the lead industry wasn't as clean as it is today. It's still not the cleanest thing in the world, but it was a <laughs> lot dirtier back then. Um, there was a lot of consolidation and just a lot of crap. Oh, and so did that for a number of years and I wound up, going into his agency with the mindset that I'm going to work for you for one or two years. I'm going to go open my own agency. And he said, challenge accepted. I'm going to try to make sure you never want to leave. I was there for eight years. I left last November and 
the thing that always kind of confuses people is about halfway through my tenure there in 2018, I opened my agency at the same time. And I did it with his son, who was one of my partners and another guy. And basically, it was a great opportunity for everybody. He was retired. We were running his agency. I continued to run his agency and then opened, I moved to Atlanta and opened my agency Scratch and ran them both at the same time. So I opened July 1st, 2018 with a Scratch Allstate agency on a, on a Scratch Allstate contract, which I felt like I had a little bit of a cheat code because I had already figured out an outbound process. I knew how to do all these things. So we started day one with seven or eight producers and a ton of leads and just hit the ground running on those incentive contracts. And mm. fast forward five years, you know, I, I, I separated from that agency in, in November, all good things, nothing but love. And, uh, you know, five, a little over five years in, we're sitting at 34 million in premium. And so the growth has been pretty significant. It's been really awesome. And I think I've had a, we've worked really hard and I've got an amazing team, but I think we've also had a lot of luck and a lot of right place, right time. And, yep. uh, I feel really grateful for everything we've been able to do. Man, uh, there, there's an entire episode right there in six or seven minutes uh, of monologue. One of the things that you said, and you glossed over it real fast, and apologies to Donna, I, I don't know where she is, um, <laughs> but you said we turned the team over in about 18 months because there's something that every agency owner knows who's done this before is you have to have the right people in the right seats on the bus. Sure. And I love my team. I have a great team at Riskwell. There's nine of us, and everybody is in the right seat on the bus right now. I'm the only person in the office who's doing outbound. The rest of the team is great at what they do, but they're either answering the phone for the front desk or they're a CSR behind the scenes making stuff happen within the engine, kicking quotes out. Because, I mean, you've listened to the podcast. You know we're like yeah. 98% inbound. It used to be 100, but literally a week ago, and I haven't recorded this episode yet, but I'm back in sales now almost full-time talking to people, closing deals, making stuff happen because I realize I love it. Awesome. I love it, man. I'm a sales guy. I love the outbound game. I'm wired like that. But as you described when you were talking just a minute ago, uh, most people aren't. And it takes a takes a rare bird. Uh, you have to be just a little bit twisted, a little bit crazy to enjoy. You have to, you have to be a little bit of a psycho to yeah. enjoy outbound. And you got to get your mind wrapped around the idea that 80 or 90% of the people are going to say no in some version. And, you know, half of those people are going to say no aggressively and to where they have no interest in talking to you. They're not even willing to consider the opportunity. And most people just can't handle mentally, psychologically, they can't handle receiving that much rejection. Uh, it, sure. it, mess, it messes with them. I would love for you to double click on that one sentence in there where 18 months, you turned over the team. Where did you find these people? Because you said we started your agency with seven or eight producers. Yep. One, most people never have seven or eight producers any time in their career. And you started day one with seven or eight. That's awesome. I want to know, how did you get those seven or eight people who were already oriented to being down with an outbound sales career? Because... It, I'm knowing you and what I've seen from you, you're not hiring people to do a job. You're hiring people who align with a career path that fits your needs of your agency. So can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think in both in both scenarios, right? Both turning over the the existing team with, you know, that that agency I worked for and then starting my own agency with seven or eight producers, finding the people who are are willing to do outbound. You know, it's actually a question I get a lot, James. I'm glad you asked because people ask me all the time and I've been thinking to myself, I should probably put some content out about this, but there, there's a few things that, that go into it. And, and I think what we have to remember is I think a lot of times as agency owners or leaders or sales leaders or, or really anyone who's weeding people is I think people over index one direction or the other. If somebody's not successful, they, they put all the blame on themselves. Hey, I'm a bad leader. I'm a bad coach. I... I didn't do enough to make them successful. Or they say something like, well, I need someone who can close or I need somebody who can be confident or I need somebody who can do this or that. And the reality is we have to teach them how to do that. And so we have to find that middle ground. And we think about 
if we want to find somebody who can do the job and is willing to do outbound and is open about outbound and understands that that's just like what we do here, we have to attack that from both sides. We have to think about it. Okay, if I'm the leader or if I'm the business owner, or if I'm the agency owner, how do we set these people that we're bringing in up for success? Do we have systems and processes? Do How is our marketing? Are we just kind of throwing a bunch of money at a problem and hoping it gets better? Or are we approaching it strategically with data? Are we running an iterative process where we're tr- constantly trying to improve it 1% at a time? Or are we looking for some type of quantum leap or some catch-all or some magical panacea that's going to solve the problem, right? So we have to create a road for them to drive down. And you want to make it wide enough so that they have autonomy and they don't feel micromanaged all the time, but you need to have guardrails so they don't go off the road. And I think about that in my agency a lot is we ask them to do a lot of different things. We're extremely high volume and people say, wow, like you really ask a lot out of us. And I say it right in my job ad, say, we ask you for a lot. I'm going to be upfront and honest about that. But in return, we give you a lot. We're going to give you benefits. We're going to give you a great salary. We're going to give you great upside. We're not going to mess with your comp plan every year because you did too well. We're going to give you near unlimited leads. You're going to have an outbound calling team transferring you things, right? It's a mutual partnership that we're going to have in all of this, right? So setting expectations is really, really important in finding those people. And I think it's about filtering well. So, you know, it's not enough to just say on the job ad, like you're going to make a lot of outbound calls or, hey, you need to get licensed before you show up, or, hey, you have to do all these things. Like We asked that same question four, five, six times throughout the process. And then as we do interviews with people, we'll say something like, hey, what's the least favorite part of your job? And people who are sometimes in a final interview for an outbound role will say, man, like in my current role, I've got to make all these outbound calls. And we say, well, look, that's what this whole job is. And, you know, Whoopsies. maybe we... Yes. Yeah. yeah. And look... <laughs> and look In an interview process, we're selling you, you're selling us, right? We're trying to bring the best of what we have, but at the end of the day, we want everybody to be happy. So I think that's the first piece, right? Is is setting really proper expectations, being really upfront, really clear, because the worst thing that can happen is somebody thinks they're coming into a role and then it's something very different. You spend money, time, and effort bringing them on, onboarding them, training them, and then they wash out after 90 days. Turnover is extremely expensive. It's one of the biggest hidden costs in businesses that people don't even pay attention to. And then on the other side, in terms of a personality, right, is we have to make sure that they have the right type of mindset. And like one of the biggest pieces of that is somebody who has a growth mindset. Hey, so there's a difference between I'm not good at math or I'm not good at math yet. Or, hey, I'm not good at cold calling or I'm not good at cold calling yet. The belief that they can be good at something if they just get trained and try yep. and learn and do all those things. That's the number one thing we look for when we're trying to find people who do the job. If somebody's open-minded and open to experience, they're probably going to be open to trying new things. They're probably going to be coachable. And then I think something that we talk about a ton is I want somebody who is interesting. And the reason that we want somebody interesting is because when you call a lead, what do we hear half the time? I'm not interested. And if somebody's not interested, it's because you are not interesting. It is our job to make them interested. That is the entire job. So if you're not interesting, I think you're going to struggle in the role. And I don't mean that in like a rude or, or disrespectful way, but I can't tell you how many people who I, who I interview right out of college, right? Right out of college. And, and by the way, we don't require a college degree, but a lot of people right out of college will apply. And I'll say, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm using uh, like past examples. I actually don't really interview anymore, but I, we have, my team does it, but I yeah, still- you have people for that. Yeah. yeah and we would ask- hey, what was your degree in? And they'd say something like, oh, I got my degree in sports science. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, what was your favorite class in sports science? And they'd be like, oh, well, it was, you know, they can't even answer the question. So you spent no. four years getting a degree in sports science and you can't answer the question. You can't tell me about a project that you did. I'm not so sure that you're going to be able to build rapport with a client, right? So I think those are just some yeah. of the ways that we approach the whole thing. Man, I, I have not done cold outbound in a lot of years. If I were to jump back into cold outbound now, which I'm not, I have better ways of doing outbound. There's nothing against cold outbound, but I much prefer lukewarm outbound. Yes. Where there's like, there's some kind of entry point. Tactically, it's like, if can I have some sort of reason for calling you? Hey, your name came up when I was talking to so-and-so. Hey, I was in a certain business and saw your business card. Hey, I went to an event and we were there together. Like there's so many ways to have just a tiny bit of lukewarm, but like pure cold. Nah, fam, that's not my jam. But 
hypothetically, if I were to do cold outbound in in 2023 and beyond, the only way I could do it is the never split the difference way of attacking it with the the labeling and the mirroring. Because if if you're if you're the the prospect and you say blah 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 blah, not it. I say la 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 la, and you say I'm not interested. My immediate response, without even engaging my brain, is, oh, it sounds like you're perfectly happy with your current insurance experience and representation. And of course, that's an absurd statement. There's not a prospect on the face of planet Earth that's perfectly happy, right. unless your insurance agent is your brother, and you're clueless at how bad your program is, or what you might be missing. There's no one that For is sure. perfectly happy. So when you say something absurd and say it with confidence, oh, it sounds like you're perfectly happy with your current setup. Of course, you know, the people that are 0% paying attention are going to say, yeah, whatever, go away. You right. know, but the other the other 80 or 90% of them are going to say, no, that's not what I said. And I, of course not. And right. then you hit them with the mirror and go, of course not. Yeah. Put a question mark they, at the end of the sentence. Yeah. You yeah. Know, with an upward yeah. vo- vo- voice inflection. And then they're going to complain about something. Or they're just going to hang up on you, one or the other. And if they just hang up on you, cool, next call. But if they give you any inkling of what's going on, then you just nibble at that a little bit more, and then you're in. This is a five-minute pain because people love complaining. It's 2023 and beyond. People love complaining. Victim porn, as uh, as Ryan Holiday says, uh, is, is really a thing. It's like people love the victimization. They love playing up the... Oh, I'm I'm victimized because of the following reasons, and I don't know if I was going to cold call. That's the only way I could cold call. I don't know thoughts of that before we move on. You know, I think that one of the main reasons that people have a bad experience cold calling is because they come from a place of what they need. They're coming from a place. Uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Adam Grant. He wrote this book called Give and Take. You know, the book itself is not. You know, you could probably read the first hundred pages and get and get the idea and be done with it, right? But yeah. I read it a couple of years ago. I think it was during uh, 2020 when I was at home a lot. You know, and and they talked about like there's there's a couple types of people. There's givers, there's takers, and there's people who are kind of in between. And everything I do in life, I try to be a giver, right? And I think cold outbound works really well if you are a giver. And I think the issue is that a lot of people are doing cold outbound from the place of a taker. They're saying, "What do I need, and what's best for me?" when I'm doing this cold outbound and they say, well, I'm going to call a bunch because I want to get them on the phone and Hey, I'm going to try to get a meeting. Cause that's what I need. Instead of really being curious and saying, what does this prospect need? And I think to your point about trying to find the pain is people aren't always going to be so willing to tell you what they need. So you have to find a way in. And I think using like the Chris Voss, never split the difference tactics work really well. And I think you talk about the idea of sometimes people like to play the victim, but people love correcting you as well. So when you say you're perfectly yep. happy, no, I'm not perfectly happy. And I think that works really, really well. And I think once you get your foot in the door, you have to come from a place of how can I add value to you? And if I cannot add value to you, then I should respectfully move on. And I do think that cold outbound has changed quite a bit. I do think that phone is still the best way to do it. But if you're only using phone, to do cold outbound, I think we're really missing a huge opportunity. And I, and I think, think about the digital presence that, that almost every business owner has online. Almost everybody, like it's like the year of the personal brand. You know, you're, you've clearly been doing it for a while. I've been posting on LinkedIn every single day this year. I have like a 365 day challenge. I'm absolutely loving it. And some of the connections that I've made, but people are increasingly building their digital presence. And this idea is that like you can cold call somebody out of the blue, spray and pray. Or you can try to engage with them on a Facebook you know, or in a group or on LinkedIn or somewhere else or listen to their podcasts or do all these types of things. And then when you call them, you actually have some common ground to start from and you actually understand maybe how you can add value to them. And so I don't disagree with your approach. I think just wanted to add a little bit of extra flavors that cold outbound has changed. And I do think yeah. that their quality over quantity, you don't want to over you don't want to over index either way, right? Don't go too far on quality or too far on quantity, but use the tools that we have at our disposal. It's we're in the information economy. It's never been easier to find somebody's cell phone number. Believe me, people find mine all the time. So, Oh yeah. No, man, it's, it's interesting that you say that because 
we have pivoted so hard in the last two weeks. I almost have whiplash in my own neck right now because we, and I can't tell you how many times I've talked about on this podcast about how focused we are on inbound and the content game. And it was lost on me. And I've been so foolish this year. There's an episode coming. And when you hear this episode, just know another week or two after this episode airing, there's a solo episode where I'm sharing with you, hey, I missed the mark in a huge way. And here is what I did wrong. Hopefully you can learn from my mistake. And my mistake was I went too far into the content game and the inbound game in becoming insurance famous and getting speaking gigs and being liked and respected by my peers. And I forgot that my peers don't pay my bills. My insured pays my bills. And I was guilty of what a friend of mine accused me of in a backhanded sort of way. And he was coming at it from a, a position of being annoyed with me. And it was like, what is your fascination with farming your peers for, for revenue? Like, why don't you put that same effort into your insurance? And I'm not going to name names, but he was absolutely right. And looking back on it now, and that question was asked of me in April of 2023, and it took me six months to realize that this guy was 100% right. And I, I took my eye off the ball and forgot that filling the top of the funnel with outbound activity is the best way for content to be effective. Because when people have a reason to view your content, it's automatically more effective. That mixing in good outbound with great inbound, having good content there, having funnels that people can find their way through as they please, that's the way to win. And that's how Riskwell is going to win in 2024 and beyond because, yeah, we still have great content. But now James is seeding the top of the funnel with a bunch of outbound activity and actively looking for other people that want to do outbound. Because for sales guys like you and me who love the sales game, there's nothing better than a good mix of outbound activity with a bunch of quality content and inbound assets sitting there ready to you know, put fertilizer on the field, as they say. 100%. They feed each other, right? So if you call somebody and you say, hey, this is James Jenkins, and maybe they talk to you, maybe they don't, but maybe they Google you, right? Maybe they pick up their phone and they Google you and they start immediately seeing all your content, all your all your you know presence online that immediately gives you authority. It immediately gives you credibility. It immediately says, this is not a scam. This guy's legit. And he's built this yeah. online presence. Meaning if he screws me, he's got a lot to lose. And I think yeah. that helps put your skin in the game. And so, you know, I went the opposite way, James. I over-indexed on outbound, right? With my agencies, like everything was just going outbound, 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 outbound. And I didn't do any of the content. I didn't do any of the of the other things that would feed together if somebody wanted to look up peachy insurance, you couldn't find it, right? Because yeah, we, you, you could Google us, you could find our Google page, right? We have reviews, but there wasn't ways that we were actively adding value to potential prospects without them buying from us. And and I think it goes back to what we talked about before is like, can we give more than we receive? And I think when people see that and they say, wow, James called me, I didn't take his call. But I looked him up online and I saw all these things. And now when he calls the next time, I'm like, you know what, James? I actually, I did look you up. Yeah, let's talk, right? They feed yep. each other. They help each other. And you maybe went too far on inbound. I went way too far on outbound. So I'm guilty of the same thing. And, and I think to your point, you know, I, I think the way he accused you, right, of like farming your peers, like I would say there's no problem in, in charging your peers for help or advice, right? Just like there's no problem in me paying somebody to coach me or me, someone paying me to coach them. I think as long as it's done from a place of of good intent and a way to add value, I yeah. think if you're taking somebody's money and not adding value, well, that that's just you know shame on you. So I think that's no, and, and I definitely agree. I'm not saying that I was categorically wrong to be yeah. you know putting the coach or the mentor or the guru hat yeah. on. Although I hate the word guru, it's so yeah. obnoxious. <laughs> what people that are like, I'm a such and such guru. I'm like, <laughs> it's like oh. Oh, it's so obnoxious. Do not call yourself a guru for God's sake. Oh, anyways, the point of don't ever do that ever, like that's not the point. Right. Say do not lead with that. Don't let right. yourself go too far down the coach, mentor, the person who is a consultant, a paid consultant in your peer group. Run a great agency first. 100%. And let, let the consulting be an outflow of your excellence in running a great agency. I was 
guilty of putting the cart in front of the horse a little bit this year, and I paid for it on my balance sheet. And it's hard to admit that on a podcast with thousands of downloads a month, but at the end of the day, it's so important that I stay transparent, be like, guys, I messed up, and here's exactly where I messed up, and it cost me. So don't do what I did, please. It's so important. You know, it's uh, to, to that point, like I do some consulting as well and, you know, I have my service, but I also do one-on-one coaching, mentoring as well. And and one of the things that I do is I write this bi-weekly newsletter. And basically what it is, it's an inside look of how I'm building my agency. And, and I do exactly what you're trying to do. I'm trying to be as transparent as possible. If I have a record month, that's awesome and shocking. Like I'm going to post it, but guess what? If I have a down month or I screwed up or I miscalculated something, I'm going to own that too. Because to your point, the transparency is really important. And I think there's a lot of coaches out there or mentors out there who first off either like haven't been successful in the things that they're actually coaching on, or they're literally just arbitraging, right? They're, they're basically just distribution for somebody and then having somebody else do the work and no, no judgment. Right. But the question is, is what type of mentor, what type of coach do you want to be? And do you want to be somebody who says, look, I've been successful and I want to help you do the same thing. Or do you want to be like the classic cliche of like those who can't do teach, right? Mm-hmm. I hope nobody ever says that about me. And I feel like you probably feel the same way by yourself, you know? Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. And the the day that I'm no longer an agency principal, this podcast will cease to exist. And and I, I promise you that. The day I'm no longer in the game doing the things that I'm talking about, this podcast will disappear and you will never see another episode ever again. Because those that can't do teach... Oh man, that is one of the most stinging critiques right. I could give of anybody. And a, a lot of folks that hold themselves up as a consultant in the insurance industry have no business being a consultant in the insurance industry because they're not doing anything that they claim to be able to teach other people to do. It's like, well, why don't you do it yourself then? Because you can make a whole lot more money doing it for your own agency and building your own business with annual recurring revenue and monthly recurring revenue than you can ever get uh, milking your peers for revenue, as my colleague said, in that Uber ride back to the airport in Phoenix wow. back in April. And I was like, man, why don't I share an Uber with you? This is, this is harsh. I, eh, what an asshole. I can't believe this guy. And then less than six months later, I'm praising him on my podcast for yeah. giving me some tough love that I needed to hear. But at the time, I definitely didn't want to hear it because I was too busy trying to be insurance famous. So I'm going to pivot now because I think we've talked that one to death and we're 32 minutes into this conversation and we haven't gotten to any of the juicy, controversial stuff. Yeah, let's do it. You're an Allstate agent, man. You and I are like the exact opposites. And I'm I'm about to say something that the folks in Illinois aren't going to like, but I don't answer to them. And I'm not going to get sued for defamation because I'm stating officially it's just my opinion. But from the outside looking in, the exclusive agent track for Allstate is a complete dumpster fire right now. I, f- I feel like every time I see something in the news from the exclusive Allstate folks, it's just another thing that they're doing that doesn't make sense. It makes you scratch your head and go, what, what is going on over there at Big Blue? Like, I, I think the most recent one was when they shut down the phones and you had to do all your support through chat or something like that. I don't know exactly what it has been probably two years ago now. From the outside looking in, I have a hard time understanding why anybody would want to be an exclusive agent for Allstate in 2023. You feel very strongly in the other direction. I'd right. love to have you make your case as to why the EA track is desirable and advantageous 
2023 and beyond. Pitch me and pitch our audience on why it's a good time to be an exclusive agent for Allstate. For sure. So here's what I'll say about some of the uh, the headlines, right? I think we have to remember that we live in a world where headlines are sensationalized, right? That ad mm-hmm. revenue is driven by clicks. And, and mm-hmm. so I think we think about this, the state of the news today, right? We talked kind of like that Ryan Holiday, like that victimhood or almost like you could say, like people want to be outraged just because they want to be outraged. And, and I think yeah. that ad revenue, like based off like the digital environment that we live in feeds a lot of that. So what we see more than more often than, than not is we see negative headlines, not positive headlines. And, and what I'll say is that Allstate's definitely in a, in, a, in a place of change and has been for the last couple of years. And, and I think it's always really important not only for for me as an agent, right, somebody who has an agreement with Allstate, to remember is that that the top leadership of the company, they're not really beholden to me and the other agents. They're beholden to the shareholders, and yep. and that's and that's really important to remember because sometimes people say like, well, you know, the CEO did this, or the COO said that, and ultimately it's their job to create and return value to the shareholders, and so. As Allstate makes all these changes, right, they're reorging a lot, they're changing a lot of things, they're trying to bring technology in. It's not always going to be smooth. I know in my agency, I bring technology in and it's never smooth. And when it does go smooth, <laughs> I'm like, we're like, oh my God, did that just go smooth? We're like, all right, well, we're going to wait for the other shoe to drop because there's no way it could have gone smooth, right? So yep. I think there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of concern. There's been a lot of change. And I think as human nature comes around, changes change and uncertainty can drive a lot of fear and i think fear can cause people to speak up and and i think what i would say is that just the sheer amount of posts i see on like facebook for instance from anonymous members in these groups is indicative of the fear that's out there right people are afraid to speak up because they think that you know if they speak up like they're going to get in trouble and and what i've always felt about this whether it's like an employee survey or an agent survey or anything is the people who want to be anonymous are always the most negative always and they're not Always. coming typically from a place of objectivity. They're not coming from a place of, you know, clarity. They're not coming from a place where they're really trying to solve the problem. They're they're overcome by emotion. And, and, and I don't mean that in any type of way. And if I'm wrong on that, I'm totally open to being wrong by that. But I do feel like the more anonymous it is, the more negative it tends to be rather than a problem-solving approach. That's the correct point. me if I'm wrong here, but yeah. the more negative someone is – the smaller their agency tends to be. You know, I can't speak to that, right? Because I know some some pretty big agents who have just been around for a long time that have just been hit with change after change after change. And I think they've just hit enough. Like I do tend to think smaller agents tend to have more concerns. And I'm, it makes sense, right? Because, you know, they might not have a book size that can that can take a, a, a 1% drop in, in commission that can affect them differently than a big agency. So I think yep. that's what I would say is that, you know, I don't have enough actual data points to, to support that. Talk to me in a year, maybe as I keep meeting more agents, I'll feel that way. So I think that's the first thing I'll say. And now let me talk yep. about why I think the EA track is really good for for a lot of people. It's not the best thing for everybody. Some people it's better to be a farmer's agent. And for some people it's better to be a state farm, what do they call it? Independent agent contractor. And, you know, for other people, it's better to be fully indie. And and what I would say about Allstate is I think what Allstate has that's 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 unique is that the Allstate agents tend to be the biggest captive agents, right? They're bigger than farmers, they're bigger than state farm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way the economic interest in the book is set up, right? So you don't own the you don't own the customers, but you do own economic interest, aka the residuals that come through it. Yeah. There's a number the commission of commission rights, right? The commission rights, exactly. And there's yeah. a number of banks that are very familiar with the Allstate contract agreement and compensation plan. And so if you want to be an insurance, if you want to come in from an insurance, you know, from, from a non-insurance background and get into the insurance agency, Allstate's a really great place to start because you can come in and buy a four, six, seven, ten million dollar book. You can find funding for that pretty easily. There's a bunch of banks that say, oh, you're an Allstate, this is an agent, we know this, there's a TPP, you have equity in the TPP, let's do it, right? You can buy this thing sometimes from, two, from a, for a two to three revenue multiple. And I think the barriers to entry, you know, I, I don't want to say they're low, right? Because you typically need a good credit score, you need $100,000 in the bank, you got to pass the assessment, you know, you got to do all these things. So I do think the people that come in tend to be economically positioned pretty well, which sets them up for success. Now, so I think that's the first thing is there's a way to get in with a pretty big book. The multiples aren't as high as independent agents. 
And then I'll tell you what really kept me at Allstate, right? What, what kept me at Allstate, because my business partner and I, we looked at the independent track pretty heavily in like 2019, 2020. We had a choice to make, right? We were working for this other guy. We had our own agency. We were on a scratch independent contract and we were running out of road on that. We were going to go established and we were going to go to kind of like the 10, 10, 10 on new, 10 on renewal. And then they came out with the Allstate variable compensation plan. And the variable compensation plan was really good. It was something like now it was like 17 on new and 9%. And we did some math and we said, wow, you know, we looked at Goosehead. We looked at, at uh, Brightway. We looked at pure independent. And we thought about some of the markets, some of the targeting, some of the systems and process, some of the things that we get, some of the things that are paid for for us, like MVRs, credit reports. You know, they'll give you a CRM if you need one. They'll give you a phone system if you need one. There's a lot of support. There's a lot of brand equity behind calling and saying, this is Andrew from the Andrew Filer Allstate Agency, as opposed to this is Andrew from Peachy Insurance, right? People know Allstate, they don't know Peachy. And so the variable comp, we started doing some math and we said, wow, actually this variable comp better than where we're at on our scratch contract. So we bought an established agency and started writing in there. And then they came back the next year and yes, they lowered renewal commission, but we can get paid as high as 37% on every home we write if it's bundled, 25% on you know, an auto policy and, you know, and, and in preparation for this meeting, because I knew we would talk about this, I ran some comparisons of like a 15-15 on personal lines, 15 new 15 commission versus the Allstate plan. The lifetime value is pretty much the same. The net present value of the cash flows on auto is actually better under Allstate, a little bit better under the independent route. And, you know, that's a cash flow perspective, right? Mm -hmm. And so- yep. Believe me, there are a ton of benefits to being an independent agent. There's a lot of freedom, especially if you can write Allstate, right? That's That can be a huge win in certain markets. But there's a lot of wins to being an EA too. And I, and I think the path we typically see, and, and James, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of people start captive and then they leave captive, right? Leaving captivity and, and they find their agency freedom, right? So I don't think there's a wrong way to go, but I do think that there are different pros and cons for everything. And I think that Allstate still remains an, an incredible opportunity for a lot of people out there. It, and it, I, I would definitely agree uh, in certain situations. It, it, I, I can't argue with that. I think you're spot on for certain profiles in certain situations. Yeah. And if, if someone's coming in with a, you know, available capital and they're ready to invest in right. storefront, in the right team, in marketing and buying leads, in diving into the brand equity that Allstate has, because I mean, Big Blue, I mean, Mayhem's been on TV commercials for years and years and years. Right. And that is very attractive to some people. For sure. For me, I'm a rebel from the word go. I want to have my brand and I want to be able to control all the elements and go to market with my brand. And I I turned my back on the farmer's brand and said, hey, I know what you guys are doing. It's, it's a good fit for some people. It's not a good fit for me. I don't want to fly your flag. I want to fly my flag. And yeah, I realize that that means that the ship is smaller but it's my ship and it doesn't belong to somebody else. Some people are wired. They want to take a very strong brand, attach it to their name and be that brand in their local community. And there's a, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that prefer to have certain things done for you and give up some upside, give up some yeah. autonomy, give up some decision-making capacity and be tied to the decisions that a corporate office makes. There, there's nothing wrong with that. For me, I chose a different path, and I think for most people, a different path is better. But there's definitely some upside to what you just described, especially in the first two or three years when they offer all those incentives, because Farmers has a similar contract where they have a, an incentive-laden retail great. contract. Yeah. And those first three years, if you clean up, if you hit your numbers in those first three years, you're going to make way more money than an independent sure. agent will. Because sure. nobody else is offering those kind of incentives. Travelers, Safeco, Liberty, da-da-da-da-da, on down the road of the traditional IA distribution partners, nobody's offering stuff like that. And sure. they never will because they don't need to. The Where I think the, the apple falls off the back of the cart, as they say, are the people that try to find their own way and try to find ways to be unique. Because I think the only way you can really excel as an exclusive agent in 2023 and beyond is to drink the Kool-Aid hard and go deep into that that uh, exclusive agent relationship and be Mr. Allstate in your town. Be the bluest agent within a 20-mile radius. 
If you're going to try to be some sort of individual, find your own lane to travel in within that ecosystem, I don't know if it's even possible for you to be successful in the way that you want to be. You almost have to be all in and just tie your personal brand to that corporate brand and fully embrace it and go hard after it. Is well, What's your thoughts on that, of trying to find some way to be unique and not be indistinguishable in operation from every other captive or exclusive agent that technically has exactly the same product portfolio that you do? So, you know, I kind of agree in, in some ways and disagree in others. I do think that in some ways, right, and, and I, I think I share this sentiment with a lot of other Austin agents and probably a lot of other farmers agents, state farm agents, is that sometimes our biggest competition are the fellow agents under the same umbrella, right? Like the biggest yep. competition to an Allstate agent is not the farmer's agent or the independent agent or the state farm agent. It's the other Allstate agent. And likewise, the, the biggest competition of the farmer's agent is the other farmer's agent. Because to your point, right, it's like if you want to be like the Allstate guy or the farmer's guy in your town, it can be very hard. And what I would say is I think that becomes very true if you're focused on inbound or kind of like relationship or referral type partners, right? It gets very hard to differentiate yourself because you're so, so just um, like umbrella by that big brand. So the way that I built my agency was, you know, 90% outbound. And so I don't really feel like I have, I've had that problem because the difference is that I'm going to let the consumers kind of raise their hand and then we're going to chase them down and find them. Right. I'm not trying to get people to say, wow, I really want to buy my insurance from like Andrew Filer and his team. We're going to say, look, if you want to buy insurance from someone and we're going to try to make sure we're the first people there to give you great value, great education, great service, and just somebody who actually you feel like actually gives a shit about what your problems are. Right. And so because we're going to them, I actually don't think it's that difficult to stand out. But I do agree with you if you are trying to run a huge inbound which I think you can do very well on the independent space with your own strong brand. Because I think there are a lot of differentiators, right? You can say, I'm not the captive. You're not going to go through a, all these different types of things that's big corporate. It's going to be smaller, more localized, or you can differentiate in different ways. And I think that flexibility is one of the pros of independent. But I just not have not really had the issue that you're talking about because I can find enough consumers. And because I'm so heavily focused on using internet leads to do it, I can get very granular on the targeting and go find them rather than let them find me. And I think really just like in general, right, as we talk about the differences, I think there's two things that we have to really look at. And I think people a lot of times fail to, to look at two costs. The first one, sunk cost, right? Some people say, well, I've put like 10 years into this, this captive agency. I can't walk away. Well, that's a lie, right? You build a business and hopefully you build that business so you can one day sell that business and then either retire or do another business or, or whatever you want to do, right? So you can start as a captive, sell that thing and go indie or buy an indie or vice versa, right? You can start indie and go captive. Not a lot of people do that, but, but some people do. I think the other thing people look at is opportunity cost. Yes, maybe I could sell in all 50 states if I was independent. But is that really the best use of my resources and time? Or should I pick one state, <sighs> one niche, all these things? And I talk about this with people all the time. Is like the largest Allstate agent in the country has something like 50,000 policies or 60,000 policies in force. In a state where there's 15 million people, like that's a drop in the bucket, right? And so yep. I think opportunity costs and sunk costs, people, people forget about a lot. But I think the other thing is like to your point is that what are you optimizing for? Like for me right now, I talked about the lifetime value and the cash flow, right? I am clearly optimizing for revenue and for money right now. Some people want to optimize for freedom. Some people want to optimize for autonomy. Some people don't want to have to ask permission to sell a new product or sell in a new territory or open a new relationship, right? That's valuable. There's, there's value in that, right? And so people optimize for different things and and right now I'm optimizing for money. And I really do think that Allstate is the best place to be for that right now. Love it, man. Yeah. The differing opinions, the validity of both arguments Absolutely. is so compelling. And that's where the individual gets to decide what your version of success needs to look like. That's why this podcast is so much fun for me personally, why I keep doing it after 130 something episodes in two and a half years it's for conversations like this because my perspective gets expanded because of, uh, of, of what was just shared. And yeah. the reality here, Andrew, is that 
the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? Absolutely. And it's it's completely subjective because what's best for you is not what's best for me and vice versa. I love it. So yeah. we, we've been recording for about 48 minutes now. We always like to keep these episodes under an hour because people just get annoyed when they have to listen yeah. to an episode in three or four pieces for as sure. they're driving around and doing whatever. I, I literally never listen to any podcast ever unless I'm in my truck. I have never in my life listened to a podcast while my feet were planted on the firm ground, not in motion somewhere. So all I have to say, we've got about seven or eight minutes left. I yeah. want to pivot hard and talk about Next Call Club yeah. because you've got a separate company and it's a, an outbound calling consulting platform, a coaching platform of sorts, right? Why don't you talk about Next Call Club for a little bit? Sure. So, you know, thanks for giving me the opportunity to bring this up, you know, and so are we at Next Call Club, we do three things really. And, and when we tried to think about what do we want to do, we tried to look at everything else that was out there in the market, right? There was tons of coaching platforms. There was tons of recruiting companies. There was tons of lead sellers, so to speak. And we said, what are we uniquely good at and where are there gaps in the marketplace? And I found three types of areas. One was I think that there's a lot of lead sellers, but not a lot of what I would call like people who teach people how to buy leads and be a great lead organization. Second, there's a lot of people who do outbound calling as a service, but almost almost always it's overseas or nearshored, right? No problem with that, but it didn't work well for me or my agency. And the third thing was that there's not a lot of people using data in compelling ways publicly, right? I'm sure there's people out there using data in amazing ways to make better decisions in their agency, but they're kind of keeping it to themselves. And so I said, how can I combine these things? And I came up with three services under Next Call Club. I do one-to-one agency consulting. You know, I have mostly farmers and all state agents. And what typically the, the agency profile is, is that somebody who's maybe around that five to seven million mark and they know they want to go to 15, 20, 25, 30. They want to scale up, right? And at, at the height, when I was running the largest agency in the country plus my own, combined, we were at something like 98 million in premium, 105 employees, right? So people will come to me and say, Andrew, you've got scale. You figured out how to scale. You've grown something scratch. You've gone through acquisition. So I will help people get their business ready for like to acquire more, right? Install middle management, get their finances in order, understand where there's leakage on their P&L, and get it fixed, right? And my value proposition on the one-on-one consulting is I want to return 10 times the value of what you've paid me. And if I haven't done that in the form of savings or revenue, I don't think I'm doing a good enough job. The second thing I do is I offer a lead buying service. I'm not a lead seller. I do not resell leads. It's not what I do. The average lead seller will buy a lead from a publisher, sell it three, four, or five times. You know, customer gets blown up. It's not a great experience for the customer. It's not a great experience for the agent. I've built my whole agency using leads. I buy 500 plus leads a day for my agency alone. And so I have all these relationships with these lead providers. I think 25 or 26 is what we're up to now. And basically what I've done, I've leveraged those relationships and said, hey, I've got agents who maybe want to buy 15, 20, 50 leads a day. Some buy 100 or 150 leads a day. But when they come to you, they're kind of a small fish. It's not really worth your time. Maybe they don't even sell directly to, or maybe that lead publisher doesn't even sell directly to an agency. So I said, what if you let me be like a middleman between the, the agent and the lead company? And the lead company likes that because we're like an outsourced account manager. And for the agent, we're like an analyst and a consultant. So what we're able to do is we'll do all the negotiation on pricing, all the targeting, all the optimization and improvement over time. And then we just help you with your outbound program in general because Everyone thinks that you just buy leads and then you call them. Yeah, but there's a cadence, there's automations, there's follow-up processes. What if you're getting flagged as spam? A lot of people call way too much in the first couple of days. There's a lot of things that go into building a great program and then collecting the data the right way so you can optimize, get more of what's good, less of what's bad. And, and what we typically tell people is we can usually get you a better lead at a better price. And we're able to do that because we have about $50,000 a month in technology bills that we use to bring the lead marketplace from call it a million leads out there a day to a hundred thousand that we think might actually be good for an agent. Right. And I'm using hyperbole on those numbers, but you get the idea, right? 10% mm-hmm. of yeah. lead shopping will make it through all those technology filters. So that's the lead buying service. And the last thing we do is outbound calling as a service, right? So a lot of people call them telemarketers. I don't call them telemarketers. I think nobody aspires to be a telemarketer. And so we call them sales development representatives or business development representatives couple of reasons for that. You get a different type of candidate who applies to that role. 
another reason that you get a lot of applicants. And I would tell you, if you're looking for an outbound dialer in your agency or for your business, don't call them a telemarketer, call them a sales development representative or a business development representative and watch the difference in the type of person who applies. That is an industry standard term for B2B tech sales. And yep. everybody wants to be in B2B tech sales because if you're an account executive in B2B tech, you might make 120,000 a year as a base salary in a 350, 400, $500,000 on target earnings, right? And a, and a BDR, SDR can make 70 or 80 or $90,000 a year just setting appointments for the account executive. Those jobs are incredibly hard to get, yep. right? And, so and you have to be really good at selling and closing and talking to people to have any chance of ever getting to that point. You have to know how to prospect, right? You yeah. got to be able to not only prospect clients, but you got to be able to prospect the hiring manager at those tech companies. And so pe- we get people and we say, look, we're going to teach you how to prospect. And so the SDR as a service, right, is what we do for the value proposition for the agent is we will go out and we will recruit them, hire them, onboard them, equip them, train them, and then we will procure the leads for you. And it's turnkey, right? We just hit go. And basically what we're, they're going to do is they're going to send you 15 to 20 live transfers per day to your sales reps so they can focus on closing or doing follow-ups rather than prospecting. And the general value proposition that we tell people is we can usually get your cost per transfer between the 18 to $24 range where people are paying $45, $55, $85 for a live transfer from you know the all web leads of the world or the smart financials of the world. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you are trying to do this at scale, you can do it a lot cheaper. I think there's a lot wrong with that, but that's a different yeah. conversation for a yeah. different day because most of those lead companies are crooks. They are straight up that is That scammers. is the general sentiment. I would disagree, but we could have a whole other debate on that. Oh, yeah. There are some good ones for sure. Yeah. But your account manager matters a lot. I more say. than half of those companies out there have no concern at all for the conversion of the retail agent. And they are literally just churn and burn factories. You obviously have different yeah. perspective being the volume that you're at. But right. I imagine I imagine if you would probably agree with the fact that a lot of companies out there are not concerned with the experience of the end user. They're literally just data churn factories and I monetizing think, I think- it. I think the rep that you get matters a lot. If you have a good rep that cares and optimizes your account and wants to understand, like, what's your target cost per acquisition? What's the lifetime value of a typical customer, right? There yeah. are, those reps do exist. Those are the ones that do a great job. But to your point, there are a lot of reps out there who sign you up and then they don't respond to your emails, that the leads yeah. suck and they don't do anything about it. And so, you know, I think that's a quality control issue in terms of the sales teams on these lead companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, the rep really matters a lot. Well, I should qualify my strong opinion by saying that <laughs> yeah. it's it's somewhat ignorant because I haven't bought a single internet lead since Riskwells yeah. existed. My only experience in buying leads was as a farmer's agent, and that was four and a half years ago. I, I hope things have gotten better since then. Yeah. Uh, if they haven't, well, then whoever I was talking about deserves <laughs> their reputation, right? Absolutely. And yeah, it, it, the funny thing, it's not any one company in particular. It's just a general sentiment. I mean, I've spent tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, and I was a very small agency. Now, I mean, 5% the size of your current agency when I sold my farmer's agency. So obviously very different economies of scale yes, there. For sure. So, yeah. Anytime I offer a really strong opinion, I feel yeah. the need to validate and or qualify it sometimes. I think that's why you're successful at the content game, right? I think people yeah. like when somebody takes a stand and I think people who ride the fence all the time, you're just like, eh, I'm just a fence rider, right? So I think the strong opinions are good. Yeah. The other side of the strong opinion is on occasion when I'm just wrong, let's, let's be real, that happens <laughs> plenty. Because when you take a stand, more often than not, you're going to have someone come back and say, here's why you're wrong. Yes. So a- a- anyways, we have crossed over the one hour mark. And I promise my listeners, I will never allow things to go too far past the one hour mark. So uh, any final thoughts here? Andrew, any, where do people need to go to find you? Next call club, is it .com or something else? It's nextcallclub.com, exact, spelled exactly how it sounds. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. Always down to chat. I promise if you have a question, you want to pick my brain, I am open to it if you are an insurance agent. I've gotten a tremendous amount of help in my career. I'm always happy to pay that for it. And I won't pitch, I won't hard pitch you unless you ask about my service. You know, it's, uh, but really I'm, I'm most active on LinkedIn. 
you know, I think it's linkedin.com slash Andrew Fowler, but you can just find me. Yep. Um, I post every single day there. You can find a link to my newsletter right on the top of my profile. And, and yeah, I'd love to talk and chat and, and meet you. But, but James, dude, this was awesome. I felt like this hour flew by and I feel like yep. we got to chat more as a sidebar on the side because. Uh, oh, absolutely. That's going to happen for sure. Yeah. And for those of you out there listening and wondering why hasn't James ever had a current exclusive agent on as a guest? Yeah. Well, because most of them aren't anything like Andrew Filer, and Thank I have very high standards on this podcast. Appreciate uh, that. I can't tell you the number of people who have messaged me were like, you suck. You should have me on your podcast so I can tell you all the reasons you're wrong, idiot. It was like, well, well they never I'm made it on the podcast. Sure. Yeah. Well, now I'm definitely not going to invite For you. Sure. Nice try, though. I don't know why people think the hostile approach is ever going to work, but I mean, it, at least a couple of messages a month, every month. It was like- wow. You're wrong. I'm I'm crushing the captive game. It's like, oh, you are? Oh, that's so cute. You think you're crushing it. That's adorable. Or as we say here in the South, right, Mr. Georgia? Oh, bless your, your heart. heart. Your heart. <laughs> oh, man. He is Andrew Filer. He is an absolutely top shelf Allstate agent as Thanks, well man. as the founder of Next Call Club. Check him out. That's all for this episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Boys and girls, make it a great day. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to the show and leave us a review if you like what you hear. Those subs and reviews are actually super important for our reach to new listeners. Get your copy of my book, Leaving Captivity, on Amazon or Audible for the audiobook version. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your thoughts, questions, ideas, and general feedback to us at podcast at jamesjenkins.com. Agency Freedom is produced and distributed by podsquad.fm. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. Until next time, let's go.